0: And welcome to Killer Hangover. This is our ninth episode.
1: You sound very certain about that, Mom.
0: (laughs) All right. And we are going to tell you things from Wisconsin. We're going to tell you some things. (laughs) Like true crime and paranormal. And along with the paranormal, as we usually do, there's also a drink. Take it away.
1: So I'll be honest with you. Doing research for the cocktail for Wisconsin was a little difficult. It kept coming up Coors because I guess they have a brewing company there and I seem to always pick beer because I love it so much. And you're not really a beer drinker so (laughs) I decided against Coors. I wanted to do something fancy so I looked into some wines. I looked into a lot of there's a lot of breweries in Wisconsin and I actually googled and the number one liquor that's sold there is captain
0: like captain morgan yes. like kept Cap- oh. like
1: my husband's favorite drink of choice okay but again that's not like made there that's not really i kept looking around and ev- every time every side i came up on it kept popping up the wisconsin old-fashioned cocktail it was everywhere so please correct me those in wisconsin if i am wrong Maybe this is not, you know, your beverage of choice when you go out to the bar, but <laughs> I thought it'd be something fun to try. Okay. So I'm actually going to give you guys the ingredients to this old-fashioned cocktail. Mom has not tried it yet. I'm anxious for her to try it. I am no bartender, so this is going to be very oh, it interesting. Looks, it looks great. Thanks. I will post a picture, you guys. I'm. It looks pretty. Let's hope it tastes as pretty. <laughs> it is. Two ounces of brandy, a dash of 7-Up or Sprite, and I did a little more than just a dash. Okay. <laughs> One sugar cube, three dashes of bitters, and then it called for cherries. I didn't get any cherries, unfortunately. That's fine. I'm sorry, but I did garnish it with a little orange slice.
0: Yes, you did. It's beautiful.
1: Thanks, Mom. Alright, let's try this, sucker. I don't know if I like brandy or not, so...
0: I do. Oh, well.
1: Here's to... Hopefully, I like it. it. Smells strong.
0: You did good. Tastes good. I'm not sure if I like brandy or not. I do. That's pretty. That's pretty
1: strong. That's not bad. I mean, if you say it's good, I'm gonna trust you. I've never really.
0: Well, either it's good or it's not good. You don't have to trust me on that. You're drinking it.
1: Make your own. Take a picture. Tag us and let me know how good or bad yours is. All right, Mom, why don't you tell us about a serial killer in Wisconsin?
0: Okay, you better, like, gulp that drink because you're going to need it. I'm going to talk about the acclaimed Jeffrey Dahmer.
1: Obviously, I know his name, but I don't know much detail about Jeffrey
0: Yes, we all know things like uh, he killed people, he ate people. Wait, you're going to
1: talk about somebody who killed people on our show? mom get out of town all right but back up you said he ate people
0: getting to that okay let me first introduce him to you he was born may 21st 1960 to joyce and lionel dahmer he was described as a very cheerful and friendly child Hmm. but then right before his fourth birthday something happened
1: his fourth birthday
0: Mm -hmm. his fourth birthday Uh, He had a double hernia operation right before his birthday. Did that cause anything? Don't know. Was it inattention from his parents? It was said that his mother struggled with depression and even tried to commit suicide once. His father was frequently away due to his university studies towards his degree in chemistry. His parents did fight a lot, and sometimes the fights were very violent, But they were always very loud and mean. Did that cause him to turn inwards? Whatever it was, he became very quiet, timid, and very withdrawn. He did, however, show a great interest in animal anatomy. Hmm. And this interest began at around four years old. And while he was four, he he watched his father pull bones of dead animals from underneath their house. So I'm thinking that there was a deck or something. And every once in a while, they had to clear. They lived in woods. There was a lot of woods there. So okay. probably animals found their way underneath the but deck or whatever. Animals had already disintegrated, then, I guess. So he would take... He was
1: super interested in the anatomy of it all. Right. And, okay. and
0: actually, at four, what he was really interested in was the sound of the bones as they dropped into the canister that the father was putting them in. And weird. so the little boy would then take the canister and just pick up the bones and slowly drop them and listen to the sound that the bones oh, made. I just got chills all over my body. That is weird. Uh, yeah. And he just did this, just kept doing it. He was totally enthralled with it. This progressed to him bringing home roadkill and dissecting it to see how the bones fit. Lovely. He was able to, I don't want to be too morbid here, but to um, strip the bones of any of the flesh so that he was only dealing with the bones. And his father was really happy to see that his normally withdrawn son had an interest in something. Like
1: a hobby? And
0: Yeah, and and he considered this to be a, a scientific fascination, which it was, you know. And he showed Jeffrey how to safely bleach and preserve the animal bones. Okay, so he's supporting this. He is, because he's thinking this is a good thing. Maybe it would be in somebody else, but anyway. (laughs) So in high school, Dahmer was seen as an outcast by the other students, and by the teachers, he was seen as quiet, polite, and extremely intelligent. Hmm. But unbeknownst to his teachers, Jeffrey was also a habitual alcohol drinker. He brought beer or and hard liquor to school daily. He drank before during, and after school. That's really sad. I mean, he just kept the high, I guess, going. And this started at age 14 or 15 years old. Oh, gosh, that's very sad. So even this habitual drinking just really turned the other students off mm. also by by seeing this. It was also around this time that he discovered he was gay, and he wasn't able to tell anybody, or he chose not to tell anybody, especially not his family, his parents, who were it seemed very religious, okay. and so uh, he didn't want to rock the boat there, I guess. His grades progressively began going down, and teachers attributed this just to his apathy. Probably his drinking has had a whole heck of a lot to do with that. At age 15, he switched his admiration of animals or dead animals to people, and he starts fascinating about totally controlling another man— And raping him. He even went so far as to hide behind a patch of trees along a country road where he knew a man usually ran every day. His plan was to knock the man unconscious with a baseball bat that he had brought along and then to have sex with the jogger's unconscious body. Oh my gosh. The jogger did not pass by that day. And Jeffrey never went back to that idea again. So he never tried again. He kept the fast, you know, the fantasies going, though. Shortly before his high school graduation in May 1978, Jeffrey's parents divorced. His mother moved to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin with his little brother. And his father temporarily moved in an apartment motel closer to his place of employment, which meant Jeffrey had this house To himself. Uh oh. He had been fantasizing about picking up an attractive hitchhiker and bringing him home. So, three weeks after graduation, Jeffrey picks up Mark Hicks. Jeffrey invites Mark home with the invitation of drinking and hanging out. And after several hours of this drinking and listening to music, Mark wants to leave. But Dahmer doesn't want him to. He wants him to stay. So, he hits Mark in the head. While Mark is sitting in a chair, he comes up behind him, hits him in the head with a dumbbell. Oh, my gosh. Ouch. And then the unconscious body is lying on the ground. Jeffrey proceeds to strangle him with the bar of the dumbbell.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: After satisfying some of his sexual fantasies, Dahmer hides the body in a drain pipe. He later got rid of the body and, again, I'm sorry to get you sick here, cut the body up, strip the bones clean, Put everything but the bones in a plastic trash bag. Buried them throughout the woods. Pulverized the bones and scattered them throughout the woods.
1: And how old was he?
0: He just graduated from high school, so he's 18. Cow. Um, now nobody, no police, nobody had any idea that this man. Maybe they knew he was missing, but nothing, no red flags ever happened. The only hey. way that they ever found out about this is when Dahmer was arrested he confessed to it. Had he not confessed to it nobody would have known. Oh wow. So then Dahmer enlists in the army January uh, 79 and he's trained as a medical specialist. Remember he is very intelligent.
1: Yes it sounds like it.
0: So in his first year in the service Dahmer was described as being an average to above average soldier and in all his time since high school Dahmer has not stopped drinking. So he's still drinking during this time. It's because of his alcohol abuse that he's discharged from the Army March 81. So he lasted two years. Jeffrey lived for a short while after that with his father and his stepmother. But again, because of his alcohol abuse, he was sent to live with his grandmother in West Allis, Wisconsin. And I read on one site that his grandmother was actually the only person in his life, that he had a good relationship with or an affectionate relationship with. Well, it doesn't sound like
1: his parents. I mean, besides his father supporting his obsession with bones, it doesn't really
0: sound like he had much nurturing or. Well, if you, you know, his father did actually write a book mm-hmm. about this, and his father, it seemed, had his back throughout all of this. He did not have a bad childhood, okay, and that's what really just is puts him different than a lot of serial they killers
1: incorrectly. Then,
0: so on August seventh, nineteen eighty-two, I chuckle because this is so weird and so random. Jeffrey exposes himself to a group of women and children at the state fair. Why? Because he's drunk, probably. I, I, you know, I don't know. That is very. It's just random. so random. He's fined $50. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now Dahmer had been uh, looking and reading porn, and this piked his interest in gay bars. He would go to gay bars. He'd drink, <laughs> obviously. Um, he loved that alcohol. He'd listen to music. He'd watch strippers. He'd try to pick someone up. If he failed in picking somebody up there, then he would move To bath clubs. What's a bath club? I had to look it up too. So a bath club is a place where gay men can meet in a safe environment. It's like a sauna spa type of thing. Okay. And there's you know, rules and regulations and stuff, but they can have relations there. But it's not um it's not like a brothel or anything like that. It's just a safe space. Okay. is what my impression was. Jeffrey liked to have these encounters there, but he didn't like that the men moved during, I know this, like during the act of sex. So <laughs> he decides he's going to drug his partners. So after like, I think it was like 12 Men such a safe zone anymore. No, not safe zone if you're with Dahmer. No. After like twelve of these encounters and the owners finding out about it, he is then, putting two and two together. He is then he's not allowed into these Ugh. bath clubs any longer. It was after one such instance, so now he's no longer able to use the bathhouses. So then he rented a room at the Ambassador Hotel November twentieth, nineteen eighty seven. He brings home a Stephen Tumei, and the next morning he finds Tume on the bed with him. But his Tume's chest is black and blue with bruising. There's blood, blood trickling from his mouth, and he's dead.
1: He just wakes up, and this man is like
0: this? Yeah. Dahmer's forearms and fists were heavily bruised, but he has absolutely had no memory of killing Tume. And nothing. Oh, okay. Nothing. No. And I, I believe that because he confesses to a lot of stuff. But sure. he says, I, I know I killed him, but I do not remember any of it. Oh, wow. So he has to get the body out of the hotel. He <laughs> stuffs him in a suitcase and he brings the body to his grandmother's house. He cuts it up in the bathtub, puts oh. it in a plastic garbage bag, excluding the victim's head. So he keeps the head. He boiled the head as he had with the animal bones in an attempt to keep it, but it becomes too brittle. So weird, I guess they S- don't have science about So then he, ha- <laughs> he has to toss it. Okay, so he tried to clean Bummer. it the way his father had taught him how to clean okay. the bones. <laughs> the risk of being rude here, he kept the skull um, because he wanted to have to use it for his sexual fantasies. Ed Kemper? Oh, well... Um, <laughs> well, you're not even going to acknowledge that Kemper did the same thing. I don't know that much about Kemper, quite oh, well, honestly. I might have to tell That's why I did the blank stare. Okay. I just know <laughs> very little about him. Uh, um, let's just say Kemper and Head's very similar to Dahmer there. So his nine-year hiatus from killing is over. He had come to an end and his obsession is now stronger than ever. Mm. He viewed his victim as objects for pleasure, not as people. And this is a quote from him. And this made it easier to, quote, do things that you shouldn't do. Oh, my gosh.
1: Didn't BTK have the same similar? He viewed them as objects.
0: Yep. Yep. You should have seen their faces are about the same, too, in their interviews. So in September 88, that would be a year later, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out of the house because of his drinking, his bringing men home at all hours of the night and early morning, and the strange smells coming from the basement and garage. This poor woman. I bet you she really just had no idea, and she just... uh... And they show pictures of the house, and it's it's a lovely little house. I mean, it's, you know, nothing gross or eerie or anything. By this time, he had drugged, strangled and sexually abused the dead bodies and dismembered two men Mm. jamie dox tater age 14 and 25 year old richard gallero since killing tome so now we're at three all right shortly after moving into his one room apartment because he was
1: yep kicked out
0: kicked out he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy. Oh, no, no. In January 1989, Dahmer is convicted of second degree sexual assault and and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. And his sentence was suspended until May. So he Uh, assaulted this child in September. Then it wasn't until January where he got convicted. Then it wasn't until May that he actually went to prison.
1: Oh my gosh, that is a lot of free time on his hands there.
0: In March, he moved back into his grandmother's house. In the time between his sentencing and his serving time, Dahmer killed his fifth victim, aspiring model Anthony Sears. He again drugs him, strangles him, has sex with the body. And the next morning, he decapitates the corpse and dismembers the rest of the body. Now, he found Anthony extremely attractive and wanted to possess him permanently. Oh,
1: my gosh. I really don't like this story, Mom.
0: So he preserved his head and genitalia in acetone.
1: Genitalia?
0: Yeah, that. The compulsion to be near to his victim compelled Dahmer to take the head and the genitalia <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> to work with him at the chocolate factory. Okay. <laughs> it just sounds like a bad joke. I know. No. Oh. where he stored oh he stored them in his work locker. Now remember he's going to prison. Okay.
1: Not soon enough. Not soon enough. So on
0: May 23rd, 1989, Dahmer was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Correction with a work release permit so that he could keep his job. Okay. And he also had to register as a sex offender. So he's still visiting this head in the locker every day. <laughs> Stop it, Mom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he temporarily lived with his grandmother, and then moved to his own very affordable apartment in a kind of bad part of town. A few weeks after he moves into his new pad, he killed his sixth victim, Ricky Beeks. Again, drugged his drink and strangled him. This time he took pictures of the dead body arranged in different poses. He then proceeds to dismember the body. He keeps the head, Gosh. Uh, boils it, strips it of flesh and then he spray paints the skull and placed it alongside Anthony's in a filing cabinet. I should have warned listeners that this story is just progressively gets like I don't to me sicker and sicker and sicker so I'm sorry if I upset your stomachs. (laughs) Quite honestly I I was so upset to my stomach that I had to pull back from this story because I started getting queasy and as you know, it takes a lot for me to get queasy. Yeah. I mean, I've sat through an autopsy. I've dissected bodies during anatomy. I It, it doesn't... It's
1: not on your own. You're not Dahmer here. You <laughs> no.
0: When I was taking anatomy. Yeah. But this just, just totally nauseated me. And then I had to pull dinner out. <laughs> And we happen to be having boneless pork chops. Oh,
1: my God. (laughs) No, 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 no.
0: Oh, crap. (laughs) I won't tell you what I thought. it. I was just like, these look like biceps.
1: Mom, moving on, (laughs) moving on.
0: Okay, now, karma. A week later, Dahmer lures another man into his apartment. But by accident, Dahmer drinks the laced drink. Idiot, meet karma. (laughs) He, of course, passes out. When he comes to, he realizes he's been robbed. He does not report this to the police. Of course not. A month later, he kills an acquaintance of his. So all these other men have just been kind of strangers. Now, this is an acquaintance, not a friend, because he doesn't have many friends, but an acquaintance of his. He experiments with different ways to preserve the head and parts of the body, but they all fail so he's not able to keep any of Edward Smith. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Three months later, uh, do you hear these months? We're not talking years. No,
1: no, no. We're talking One month later, three months later. Yeah, Yeah. I I hear it.
0: Three months after Smith, Ernst Miller becomes Dahmer's eighth victim. And now he begins to branch out. This is a quote. I started eating their heart and arm muscle. It started out as curiosity, and then it became a compulsion. It was a way of making me feel that they were a part of me. Stomach turning yet? This is about the time it hit me. Dahmer kills three more victims in the matter of six months. David Thomas, Curtis Stratter, Earl Lindsay. Dahmer's compulsion leads him to another brilliant idea. He's going to keep a victim alive, but render him zombie-like by injecting a diluted acid solution or boiling water into their brain.
1: Boiling water?
0: This is another quote. It never did completely work.
1: So he's obviously, he obviously tried.
0: He wants to have control. And he wants to just have this living being and, and be subjected to him, I guess. Okay, so as I'm doing the research here, I'm thinking all this killing and these body parts and stuff have got to stink. I mean, they've they've got to smell.
1: And he's living in an apartment. I was actually thinking that. Are people not?
0: Yeah. He's, he's living in an apartment, so...
1: And this is month after month after month, and he's keeping heads and boiling water. exactly. There's got to be this... It's yeah. It's got to be awful.
0: So I guess other residents of the apartment had complained about the terrible smell coming from Dahmer's apartment. When asked by the manager, Dahmer always came up with something to excuse it, such as, Oh, my freezer broke, and I just got all this meat from my grandmother, and it all went bad. Or... His fish had died. What? He, oh, my goldfish died. He Freaking had, the, up the whole he had whole an aquarium life. with little fish. You can see it in the crime pictures. But he claimed that his a few fish had died, and he would take care of them. So don't worry about it.
1: That is creative. I'll give him that.
0: Dahmer kills Tony Hughes, his 12th victim. And three days later... On May 26, 1991, Dahmer meets 14-year-old Korik Synthesamphon. And I hope I'm saying that right. And this is the most horrid story. This child is weirdly the younger brother of the boy that Dahmer had molested in 88. The one he went, you know, he had molested and then yeah. he got a sentence. Yeah, and then Yeah, so yeah. Their this, me the parents didn't know that he's with... <laughs> Dahmer. Well, I think these kids kind of lived in the street. I mean, right. they had okay. parents, but I think they had it pretty rough. So he enticed the 14-year-old to his apartment with offers of money if the 14-year-old would pose for him. And synthesymphon was drugged. Dahmer did his thing. Then he drilled a hole in the boy's head. and Oh, mom, stop. And injected the diluted acid solution into his brain. Dahmer left to get some more beer, and I, one article said that he went to a bar and had a few drinks, and as he was coming back to the apartment several hours later, he found Synthesymphon outside, naked and surrounded by three very worried women. The boy was speaking incoherently, and the women had called the police. When the police arrived, Dahmer, always quick on his toes, Told them Synthesamphon was his 19 year old boyfriend. Now, this kid's 14, yeah. but he lies and says he's oh 19, gosh. and then he was drunk and they had fought. So now the police chalked this incident to domestic disturbance. Either they did not notice or they didn't care about the blood on the boy and the obvious way that he struggled against Dahmer when they pushed him close to him. Oh, that just makes me sick. Cynthia Symphon was killed after they returned to the apartment. A month later, Dahmer kills and dismembers his 14th victim, Matt Turner. Five days later, Jeremiah Weinberger becomes a victim. This time, Dahmer tried to keep Weinberger alive by injecting his brain with boiling water. A month later, Oliver Lacey becomes his 16th victim. And then four days later, after being fired from the chocolate factory because of too many days off and he took Not those because
1: there's a skull
0: in his locker? <laughs> oh, by that time the skull had been moved to his house in a cabinet. Okay. So um but okay. he, he asked for a lot of days off so he could dismember all these bodies, and he you know. A job in itself, apparently. Dahmer kills his last victim, Joseph Braidhoft. Three days later, Tracy Edwards is lured to Dahmer's apartment. Dahmer handcuffs one of Edward's wrists and holds a knife to Edward right at his chest and he says, I intend to eat your heart. My gosh. Somehow Edward escapes the apartment. He flags down police. The police, along with Edward, go to the apartment so Dahmer can unlock the cuff because the police didn't have the police keys didn't fit the cuff. So they couldn't unlock the cuff. So they go to Dahmer's apartment to unlock them. While in the apartment, Dahmer goes, oh, well, the keys are in my bedroom. I'll have to go get them. But it's kind of fishy. The police aren't like the ones before. And so one of the police follows him into the bedroom. And it happened that a drawer was open. And in that drawer were all those Polaroids that he had taken of the dead bodies. When asked in the interview, and he's arrested. So, when asked in the interview what the turning point was, the moment Dahmer realized he had done something terrible, Dahmer's response was, it was the night of my arrest. When the police handcuffed me, I realized there was no reason to hide my actions anymore. What I could do now was to help the police identify the victims. And not until
1: then did he realize... Not until then, and...
0: This makes it sound that he just went, okay, here are my hands, handcuff me. But from things that I read, he fought tooth and nail. He did, I mean, he fought the police. What the police and then the crime scene investigators found in the tidy neat apartment was what horror movies are made of. I'm going to read the things that they found in the apartment. Okay. A human head and three bags of organs, which included two hearts, were found in the refrigerator. Three heads, a torso, and various internal organs were inside a freestanding freezer. Chemicals, formaldehyde, ether, and chloroform, plus two skulls, two hands, and male genitalia were found in the closet.
1: Genitalia.
0: There you go. That one again. A file cabinet that contained three painted skulls, a skeleton, a dried scalp, uh, and various photographs of his victims. A box with two skulls inside. And I have a story about that coming up. Oh, boy. A 57-gallon vat filled with acid and three torsos. Why the torsos? Victims' identifications. Bleach used to bleach the skulls and the bones. Tools like a claw hammer, handsaw, a 3x8 drill, a 1x16 drill, and drill bits. A hypodermic needle and blood-soaked mattress and blood spatters. He had a second bedroom, and that's where they found the blood-soaked mattress and stuff. Now I'm thinking these police had to have smelled something when they walked into that apartment. I mean- They,
1: they had, they had to have. I mean, his neighbors had to have. I'm still just-
0: So police also found videos and some porn and a very worn video, which was Exorcist 3. What? Dahmer said that he would watch it before he went out to look for a victim. It put me in the mood for murder.
1: Exorcist 3?
0: hmm I didn't know there was an Exorcist 3, but there is, I guess, because that's what he loved. I felt so hopelessly... Dot, 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 evil and perverted that I derived some pleasure from watching the movie. Oh, my gosh. In his questioning, Dahmer admitted taking the victim's photograph as his way of remembering their appearance and their physical beauty. He wanted to keep something of them. This is also why he was in the process of building an altar of sorts. He planned to line, and while I'm describing this, I'll show you the picture that I ran off for you to look at.
1: Boy, Mom, thanks. I'm always thinking of
0: you. I know. Here we go. So this is actually his drawing.
1: Okay, nice stick figures.
0: He planned to line a black table with 10 skulls. The table would have complete skeletons on either side. There would be incense sticks, a blue lamp, and a blue curtain to cover the windows. And as you're looking at this drawing, you can see that he actually, the skeletons on either side were actually, they were the victims. Were the victims' names? He knew exactly where he was going to place those skeletons oh of the victims. He probably knew exactly. Well, I know he knew the which skull, probably the
1: order of the skulls, and everything exactly. Too.
0: So it was very thought up. <laughs> In the Inside Edition interview, Dahmer says of the altar, "It's so bizarre and strange. It's it's hard to explain. It was a place where I could gather my thoughts, feed the obsession, and." feel at home although 10 no comments sorry (laughs) (laughs) what what is there to say i i I don't know although 10 of his victims were black males Dahmer says that his crimes were not racially motivated his obsession was to find the best looking man he could find and race had absolutely no bearing when asked if he enjoyed the killing itself he responded with a strong no the killing was a means to an end Dismembering the bodies did, however, give him sexual satisfaction and with, as time went on and took more and more deviant actions such as cannibalism, to satisfy his urges. His nickname was the, or is, I guess, the Milwaukee Cannibal. But in reality, Dahmer only ate two of the people's remains.
1: Too, too many
0: though. Yeah. I mean, Here's a side note. Much. So I'm kind of talking to your husband, Alex, and I'm telling this. And I said, You know, he, he only ate two people. And Alex says, Well, he ate he ate more people than I have escargot.
1: What does that even mean?
0: Because Alex said, He only ate escargot once. But
1: what is that? Like, who's okay?
0: It's your anyway. husband. It's your husband. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, actually. (laughs) Okay. Remember the box that I mentioned previously with the two skulls in it?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Hard to forget it.
0: Okay, well, here's the story. It was just a small one foot by one foot square box. What's
1: in the box? Okay,
0: that sat in the living room. At this time, Dahmer had already killed five men, okay? okay? And his father came to visit him. His father asked him what's in the box because the box was locked. And Dahmer said... Uh, I, I'm not, not, we're not opening the box. And they kind of got into a little fight about it. And his father said, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to get tools. I'm going to open that box right now, unless you tell me what's in the box. Well, Dahmer got very, very upset about it. And finally the father said, okay, okay, we're going to open the box tomorrow. Whatever is in it, we're going to take care of it and we're going to make it disappear. If they had opened the box, the father would have seen the head and genitals of one of Dahmer's victims.
1: All of this could have been stopped.
0: I heard Dahmer tell this story in his Dateline interview, and actually his father sat right next to him during the interview, and they were both telling the story. And as he walked out of the interview room, which was like a cafeteria or something, he stops all of a sudden, and he looks to the side, and he goes, Hey! The box was just like that one, and there's this little box that they probably have the mic wires and stuff in, and it's like this little metal blue box. Then he just turned around and kept walking.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Uh, What did Dahmer say was to blame for this compulsion? You know, we think it was childhood. Was it, you know, what in the heck? Was he abused uh, by someone, Any? And he said it was all me. I'm the person to blame. Now I have never heard anyone say this. No. Not serial at all. killer. No. So you know, I'm not saying I give him credit, but he's he stood up. He goes, No one else. Not my parents, not society, not pornography. These are just all excuses. It was me. Wow. Huh. When That's asked if he still felt the compulsion while he's in jail, he answered he did. Not as strong because he couldn't act on it, but it never goes away, he says. When asked about how he felt about what he had done, he answered, I'm glad it's over. Any words that I say to the victim's families are going to sound trite and empty. I can't express the regret and sorrow that I feel for what I have done to their sons. Oh, Dahmer received a maximum sentence of 937 years
1: Holy cow. for his
0: crimes. February 1992, he was sent to the Columbia Correctional Institute in Portage, Wisconsin. Initially, he was held in isolation for his own safety. He seemed to adjust to prison life and became a self-proclaimed born-again Christian. He'd walk around Bible all the time. Dahmer, and then on November 28, 1994, for reasons unknown, this is just so weird, Dahmer and two other inmates were left unintended for a matter of time as they were detailing either a gym or a bathroom. Uh, I wasn't quite clear on that. When the guards came back 20 or 30 minutes later, Dahmer and Jesse Anderson were found beaten to death by fellow inmate and schizophrenic Christopher Scarver. In Dahmer's will, he asked to be cremated as soon as possible after his death. But medical researchers wanted to keep his brain for research. Hmm. Oh, Dahmer's mother agreed to the research, but his father wanted him to be cremated as his son wished. The two brought it to court, and the judge sided with Dahmer's father. But it was already a year after Dahmer had died. I'm sorry for any upset stomachs, but that, yeah, I learned a lot. It was no, I stuff. didn't know
1: all those details for sure.
0: Stuff that I was not aware of. Um, I do have to say that in the interviews, in all the interviews, there is no change in the man's face. There is no change in the courtroom. There is no change in the interviews. His eyes, to me, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist or anything, but his eyes looked dead. And his face just was expressionless as he sat there. There was no emotion. It's terrifying. You know, there was no life. Anyway, I'm going to drink now that I've been talking, and I want to let I'll lighten it up. A little I want to let this go. All right. So, how's the drink, Mom? Still it is, good? It is delicious. That sugar just kind of sits at the bottom. I
1: know, it? I know. And I tried to like mix it no, up. No, it's not moving. No, <laughs> <laughs> the sugar cube's
0: kind of sitting there. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, honey.
1: <laughs> I chose this place specifically. For my husband, Mr. Escargo himself, as well as his brothers and his friends that he's made listen to this podcast. Hey fellas, this one is for you. I chose this location because we are a bit of a baseball family. My husband loves and played baseball and I love baseball. And originally this episode was supposed to come out the week that baseball season started. Unfortunately, I am sure you guys have heard there's a little virus going around out there. So the season has been pushed back a bit, but I still want to honor baseball with this episode. That'll make more sense to you here in a second. So this is a haunted hotel. It's located at 424 East Wisconsin Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It is just three blocks from the shores of Lake Michigan.
0: Sounds lovely. Yes.
1: The hotel started as an idea of Guido Fister. He was a German immigrant and became very wealthy by working as the local tanner. He became a leader of the community and had this grand idea of creating this, quote, people's palace. His son, Charles, shared in his vision. and They wanted it to be known as the Grand Hotel of the West.
0: This kind of sounds like the Alaska Hotel. A little fancier, <laughs> okay. a little fancier.
1: They imagined this grand, luxurious lobby, but they wanted it to take on this feeling of your living room. So they wanted it to have this grand appeal, but very homey. And they were super passionate about hospitality. Okay, That was their number one priority. So unfortunately, Guido died in 1889 before he could see this dream become a reality. Hmm. But four years, $1.5 million later, in 1889, 18- Ninety-three. Charles brought his father's dream to life with the Pfister Hotel. Nice. The lobby is gorgeous. It's three stories. There's cherubs painted on the ceiling, which freak me out. Cherubs freak me out. But there's gold accents. I mean, it's it's really pretty. So the hotel at the time had restaurants, a barbershop, a salon, a drugstore, a men's and a women's separate lounge. And to this day... Still has wonderful places as such, including a clothing store. And it, I guess it has like a nice steakhouse in there. It's also known for the Fisters Victorian Art Collection, which apparently is the largest collection at a hotel in the world. So they offer tours of the Victorian artwork that's there. The hotel was, as Guido and Charles imagined it, welcoming and incredibly luxurious It also included some groundbreaking innovations, such as fireproofing, electricity throughout the entire hotel, and individual thermostat controls in every single room.
0: Wow, that's big.
1: Yes, it is. 1962 started to show its age a bit, and it was bought at auction by movie theater operator Ben Marcus. Why are you laughing? I was born in 62, and I'm starting to show my age. (laughs) Maybe a movie theater operator will (laughs) snatch you up, Mom. He intended to renovate it and keep it to Charles and Guido's dream vision of being more than just a hotel, but an experience with extraordinary hospitality. So besides adding a 23-story tower for more guest accommodations, he truly did keep the hospitable feel and the hotel exactly as they had it. So was this a popular place? I mean, yes. It is known actually for its very prestigious guests, presidents, prime ministers, princes. That's a lot of peas. <laughs> Celebrities and athletes. Okay. And this is why this episode is for you, honey. And honey's brothers and friends and all those that he made. Listen, this is the hotel that all the baseball teams stay at when they are in Milwaukee to play the Brewers. I thought it'd be really fun to do this story. Because boy, oh boy, did some players have some things happen in this hotel. So much so that I even read that some players had it written in their actual contracts not to stay in this hotel. Get out. Really? Yes. So it is actually a known fact that Charles Fister was a huge Brewers fan. So the story goes that he wants to disrupt the sleep of the other team's <laughs> players to help his team win. So it's kind of like a baseball curse. <laughs>
0: That's really funny. <laughs>
1: Some players will voluntarily stay somewhere else. When they do stay, they refuse to stay alone and they want to bunk up with their friends from other players. So these are like grown athletic men and they are terrified of this hotel. (laughs) It is so funny to me.
0: Hey, buddy, we're going to room together. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let me grab my baseball bat real fast. (laughs) There are several stories out there. I found them on ESPN and even the MLB website. So I thought it'd be really fun. I'm not going to do our normal show here i'm actually going to give actual quotes of their hauntings cool so, so these interviews were done in 2013 let us start i'm going to start with bryce harper at the time he played for the nationals uh and currently he's the right fielder for the phillies so his quote is now hold on i will warn there is some cursing so what? If you could listen to Dahmer, I'm sure you can listen to some cursing. Baseball players curse. <laughs> okay, anyway, so one time last summer before I went to sleep, I laid a pair of jeans and a shirt on that table at the foot of the bed. Those things in hotels that you sit on to put on your shoes. I just laid them out, simple as that. When I woke up in the morning, I swear on everything. The clothes were on the floor, and the table was on the opposite side of the room against the wall. I was so flustered. I honestly thought there might be someone in my room. I had no idea what the hell just happened. So I actually looked around, and then I checked to see if the door was still latched, and it was. I thought someone, maybe Jason Worth, came into my room during the night and moved everything around. And I knew Tyler Moore and Lombo, meaning Steve Lamondot. Oh, my God. Alex is going to kill me. Steve Lombardozzi. Man, this alcohol is making my tongue slow. We're both near me, too. But they said that no one had done anything like that. Now, they could be lying to me. That's possible. And no one else seemed to have a weird experience. But it really creeped me out. I went downstairs and changed my room immediately. (laughs) Different room, different floor, I said. I just need to get out of that room. I don't want to talk about it. I just need to get out. So they moved me to a higher floor. (laughs) Well, that's one way to get an upgrade. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) The next quote is from Brandon Phillips. He played for the Reds at the time as a second baseman. And the last I saw, he was playing for a Mexican league now. So his quote is, we play Milwaukee a lot. But I remember one time I came into the room and just sat on the bed. Then for some reason, the damn radio turned on. So I turned it off and got in the shower. When I was done, that mother had turned back on. (laughs) (laughs) The next one is from Giancarlo Stanton. He goes by Mike Stanton. He was an outfielder for the Marlins at the time, and now he plays for the Yankees. His quote is, man, I hate when we have four games there, two, three Anything's better than four. It's freaky as With the headshot paintings on the walls and the old curtains everywhere, it reminds me of the Disneyland haunted house. (laughs) The less time I'm there, the better.
0: (laughs) These guys are hilarious. I
1: know. Michael Young, he played for the Phillies at the time as an infielder. He is now since retired. And he says, oh, that place. Listen, I'm not someone who spreads ghost stories. So if I'm telling you this, It happened. A couple of years ago, I was lying in bed after a night game and I was out. My room was locked, but I heard these footsteps inside my room stomping around. I had heard all these stories about this hotel, so I was wide awake at this point. And then I heard it again, these footsteps on the floor. So I yelled out, hey, make yourself at home, hang out, have a seat, but do not wake me up, okay? after that i didn't hear a thing for the rest of the night i just let him know he was welcome that we could be pals that he could marinate in there for as long as he needed to just as long as he didn't wake me up justin upton he played for the braves he's an outfielder now he plays for the angels He says, from the minute I walk in there, I'm freaked out. The whole place, the creepy lights on the side, everything. I have to sleep with the blinds open and the lights on. Next time I'm finding another hotel and paying for it on my own, I can't sleep there. (laughs) Pablo Sandoval, Kung Fu Panda is what he's known as. He played for the Giants at the time and he still plays for their minor league now. He's a third baseman. He said, I don't like the ghost there. In 2000, 2000- I the like ghost. Someplace else, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like the ghost there. In 2009, I went to take a shower, and I remember putting my iPod next to a speaker. When I came out, it was playing music, and I have no idea why. I left the hotel after that. I didn't want to stay there. In 2010, me and Edgar Renteria stayed down the street and paid for it on our own. Then last month, I decided to stay there again. I asked myself, why do I have to be afraid? The only thing I asked the ghost was to let me sleep. And they did. (laughs) All right. So the next one, I feel so bad for this guy. CJ Wilson. He was a pitcher for the Angels. He's since retired. He actually owns his own car racing team now. CJ Wilson Racing. I actually feel really bad for him. He said, I've had a lot of experiences there. I was on the computer one night doing my typical shtick, surfing the web, sending an email, editing a photo. And then all of a sudden the light started flickering. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be so pissed if my computer dies. Then the light just shuts off, then the TV shuts off, and then the light turns back on. But the light at the front door turns off. I just yelled out, really? (laughs) I have this thing with ghosts. Just engage them or confront them. Just say, hey, man, I'm here to chill out. I'm just here to send some emails. No big deal. Just leave me alone. So after that, I went back to whatever I was doing on the computer But then 30 minutes later, they're scratching in the walls. Now I'm thinking, okay, it's the Midwest. There could be a possum or something (laughs) in the wall. Oh, yeah. There could be a possum or something in the wall, right? That's possible, isn't it? Right. All I knew was that they were definitely noises coming from the wall. I just said out loud again, can you please just leave me alone? I'm really trying to work here. At this point, I'm on edge. I'm literally looking to see if there are people in the hallway, if someone's trying to pull something. We'll do that sometimes. Take a guy's key card and hide in the closet or behind the shower and jump out. But then the lights really start going crazy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want anything from you. Leave me alone or write it down. Write down what you want. (laughs) I can't communicate with you through the lights. The next day, we all show up at the park, and everyone has this uneasy feeling, like we had bad Chinese food or something. (laughs) I said to one of my teammates, "You wouldn't believe the shit that was going on in my hotel room last night." And another guy said, "Oh my God, are you talking about that shit you heard?" Everybody had a story.
0: No way. One
1: dude got locked in his bathroom. (laughs) And he had to get the hotel to get him out. That would have been a fun story. Another guy had the lights turn off when he was in the shower. Another guy saw something. I don't get terribly concerned unless things start shattering in the room. So it was fine. I don't get that much sleep anyway. But you just get a vibe when you walk in. It almost feels like you're in Prague or something. (laughs) Very gothic. Lots of gold enamel. Crosswalks and atriums everywhere. Being on the road so much, we're used to a standard cookie-cutter place, but this hotel totally stands alone.
0: that was great.
1: (laughs) All right, so then I found some more interviews on in MLB, and these were done in 2018. So these aren't exactly quotes, but... Stories? Yeah, they're more stories. Okay. So this is uh, Go-Go, Carlos Gomez. He played for the Syracuse Mets. So, and now I guess he plays for their minor league team. But Gomez said he heard voices while staying in the hotel. And he got out of the shower one year and heard static playing on his iPod, which is weird that static plays on an iPod. That's like, I mean, it's been a long time since I've had an iPod. But so he grabbed the device, which then changed to another song. He raced out of the room and into the lobby before putting on (laughs) any, putting anything on before putting on his pants. And he, his quote is, I'm scared to go there. They should change the hotel. Everybody here doesn't like the hotel. Why do they always put us in the same hotel when you can't sleep? Everything's scary. Everything in the hotel, the paintings and pictures, it's a lot of old, crazy stuff. No good, man. No good. Okay, so this next story is probably my favorite. It's... <laughs> It's about Carlos Martinez. He's a pitcher for the Cardinals. And while the Cardinals were staying there, he actually made this Instagram video. And it's all in Spanish because he speaks Spanish. But it's like a he has it on his face and he says, We're here in Milwaukee. I just saw a ghost in Osuna's room. He saw another one. We are all here. We are all in Francisca Pena's room. We are all stuck here. We're gonna sleep together. If the ghost shows up again, we are all going to fight together. And he turns the the phone around, and there's like all these baseball players all sitting on the bed, like some guys's got a baseball bat. Some of them are playing cards. Oh some they're all just there's a ton of dudes in this hotel room. It's absolutely oh, absolutely hilarious. hilarious. So other stories I found online were mostly that Charles Fister is seen at the top of the stairs, the grand lobby staircase observing pacing the halls especially the gallery above the ballroom during events he's just watching out for his hotel another thing that i thought was really weird there's a lot of stories of the sounds of dogs like quote frolicking in the hallways like panting and running around
0: like this is what we hear all the time yes. three. Like, <laughs> yes
1: but then like they'll call the lobby and they'll be like you know somebody with a dog is letting him run in the hall and they're like uh well nobody has a dog on that Hall, or they'll like look out and step out into the hall, and there's, there's nothing. nothing there. But that's weird that they hear dogs. I think that's no really kidding. odd. Yeah,
0: it must be those possums in the wall.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of that crap. You're right. So, I will say the hotel refuses I mean, absolutely refuses to admit that their hotel is haunted. Okay, what hotel even
0: does that anymore? They, they do not want cash to cash in on it.
1: Well, remember, they're they want to be known for their right. hos- hospitality. hospitality and like they have a, a prayer left on your pillow with your chocolate mint every night. Like they really want to be hospitable. And the last thing they Saint want is people's
0: <laughs> prayer that <laughs> you have to pray before you go to
1: sleep. <laughs> oh, but the last thing they want to be known for is having ghosts. Like, yeah, I, okay. I don't know, but they they refuse. You ask somebody at the front desk when you're checking in or checking out. They refuse to admit that this place is haunted. They're super tight-lipped about it. Any of their employees, none of them will admit that they've witnessed anything. It is denied, denied, denied. It must be written in their contracts when they sign up to work there that they are not allowed to speak of anything.
0: So it, it doesn't sound to me like there's a certain hotel room that's haunted that just like the whole place. I Yes,
1: exactly. So I was looking at reviews on TripAdvisor. I really like to do that before we do a haunted place and see if there's anything on there about people's, you know, what they've gone through there. I really like to read people's reviews anyway. I think that's always really fun. It's a hobby of mine, I guess. Answer. Well, I was really impressed because they actually answer everybody's reviews on TripAdvisor. Somebody from the hotel always responds to their reviews. And if they ever mention anything about it being haunted, they always shut it down or just ignore it. And like one of the reviews responses from the hotel, quote, you're definitely correct in assuming our hotel is not haunted, though. We have been in existence since 1893. We have never had a confirmed sighting of a ghost simply due to the fact that we are not haunted. (laughs) And my favorite, which I will end this episode with, is somebody asked in on TripAdvisor, is this hotel haunted? There's a lot of documentation online claiming of this. Just asking because we're going for Halloween and I'm hoping it is. The answer from the property representative... Hello, Nick. Great question. This is an urban legend, unfortunately. No ghost activity here. I can have a staff member make some noise late-, <laughs> late at night outside the door if it helps. Let me know if I can do anything to make your stay memorable. We will see you soon. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Fister Hotel. Oh,
0: that was so much fun. <laughs> We needed that. After yes, Dahmer.
1: yes. <laughs> I at first I was like, okay, hers went a little long. Maybe we should separate this into two episodes. But we really needed to lighten that oh, up. Oh, Let's yeah. leave it in a little lighter place. Is it haunted? Is it not haunted? I don't
0: know. <laughs> no, but somebody will leave noises outside your door if you want.
1: It. <laughs> They'll help you out. Let yeah. their dogs run. Down the hall. <laughs> And don't forget those possums. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this craziness. We appreciate you. Hey, do us a favor, please. We'd really appreciate it. We'd love some feedback, some reviews. We love, love making this podcast. We have so much fun doing this, and we like to hear that you're having fun listening to it. So... Please share some reviews with us. Email us some of your stories, too. We, I'd love to add some of your own personal experiences into these Definitely episodes. That's what we want to do, yeah. That would be so, so fun. Email us, podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, all those good socials. Next week, we're going to do something fun for episode 10.
0: I'm looking forward to it. We're
1: going to do a joint one. Well, we always do a joint podcast. <laughs> Maybe I do like Brandy. We're going to be covering a good old story from Massachusetts.
0: And the location of the crime will be the same location as the paranormal. Yes. Which is different. Again, Mom, this was fun. It was a blast. (laughs) Cheers, Mama. Love you, kid.